Hello and welcome to Brokenomics. Now, in this episode, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by James Lavish. James is a hedge fund manager. He's he's spent a lot of time. He spent his career in that industry, uh, but more recently, he's pivoted to running his own uh, Bitcoin orientated uh, hedge fund. And he's a very prominent commentator on the macro position of what the US is currently going through, and and specifically the debt crisis that the US and the UK and other Western countries are currently heading into. So this is going to be a fantastic interview. Um, let's pick it up with James. Guys, there was a little bit of signal lag in this one. So there's a teeny tiny bit of me and James talking over each other a bit in this one, uh, but hope it doesn't interrupt your enjoyment of what is actually a pretty great episode. Thank you so much for joining us on Brokenomics. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Appreciate it. So, James, I, I do want to ask you about uh, the debt spiral, which is something that we've hinted at on this channel a number of times, but we've never really sort of broken it down into too much detail. But before I ask you about that, I, I just got to ask, you know, why is it that we are having to have this conversation in the first place? What is it about the US and its satrapies like the UK that have got them into this sort of disastrous problem in the first place? Absolutely reckless management at the central bank level. <laughs> Okay, you, you, you put the. You <laughs> we're, put just the gonna, we're, yeah. we're just going to dive right into that. <laughs> yeah. But you put the blame primarily at the central bank level as opposed to the sort of the government and the voters, perhaps, because I mean, there's some really big line items in there. All right, yeah. So we're, um, I joke, but the reality is that, uh, yeah, the reality is that it's just reckless spending at the, at the, at the uh, legislative mm. level. You know, we, we joke about the, uh, the central bank and the treasury being the problem, but you're you're 100 correct. Is that it's just it's spending to the point where you have to just continue to issue debt to cover all of your deficits. And so, yeah, that's something I wrote about last year. I think a year ago, last August, and you know, it's called the debt spiral. And we've seen it happen in a number of countries before, but. The reality is, is we we operate the United States and Europe, uh, you know, the UK, we're operating at, at deficits, you know, but focusing in the US, the 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 deficits are so large that the only way for us to continue to operate is to issue more debt to cover those deficits. And as you issue more debt and you uh, and you have inflation at the same time, and you have a central bank that's raising rates, you create larger deficits. And it's because your interest mm -hmm. rates, your interest costs rise. And so if you're looking at the numbers today, you know, we've got, we're, we're approaching $1 trillion of, of, uh, of interest expenses just this year for the US. Yeah. Now to, to put it in, to, to put that in context, you know, that's about that we spend about 800, to $850 billion a year on defense spending. So this mm -hmm. is now a larger line item than defense spending. And at mm -hmm. some point it will be the largest line item on, on our, uh, on our books. And so, uh, but when you operate in, in a deficit, just to keep it simple for your viewers, you know, as debt matures, you, you don't have the capital, you don't have the cash to pay for that debt because you, you don't make enough money to pay for all your expenses. Right. Mm -hmm. So you've got to issue more debt, to pay down that debt. And so you just continuously, and now you do this at higher rates, your interest expenses rise. Um, but the reality is, you know, we're, we're operating at these perpetual deficits and it's for a number of reasons, but it's excessive spending, like you put it, yeah. 
So you, you've got a fantastic um, newsletter. Um, uh, so what's the name of the newsletter again? It's called The Informationist, yeah. The, the Informationist. Yeah. So, 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 so viewers can find that on, on your Substack. Now, I think you made the interesting point on, on a recent um, newsletter that the, um, the US lost its AAA credit rating. Uh, and when you compare the US to some of the other things that were in the bracket that it came out of, something like Microsoft, Microsoft is running at something like 48 times interest cover to the amount of interest that it has to pay, whereas the US is down at just five. So, you know, you, you, you can see the sort of problem they've got. I mean, what, what sort of deficit is the US running at the moment? It's about two billion, isn't it? Yeah, two, and two if, trillion. And if you, if you, pull, if you, if you pull out the, the, uh, the expenses that, that are the mandatory expenses, you know, so you, you kind of break it up into three categories, right? So if you're looking at, if you're, so if the United States was a company trading on the New York Stock Exchange, of course it's not, it's a, it, I know some people say it's a ridiculous comparison, but just for, just to, to visualize it for people, we would, the United States would be considered a zombie company. And what does that mean? That means that we're not generating enough revenue to cover our interest expense. So we're just a zombie issuing more debt to pay down old debt, right? And yeah. so, um, so to put it to put it all into context, you've got three categories. You've got basically you've got your mandatory expenses, which is which is like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. You know, those are legislatively passed. They're they're absolutely mandatory. You you can't miss payments on those, right? Um, then you've got your defense spending, which is basically a mandatory expense. These are long-term contracts with these, yeah. with, uh, with defense contractors and, uh, and companies. So you well, have well, to that's, pay that's the U S dollars version of proof of work, isn't it? The, the, the defense yeah. department. So you, you can't right, let that our, go. Right. Or 11 aircraft carriers. Exactly. Yeah. So, and then you've got, and then you've got your interest expense, right? And mm. those are, those are, those are three that you can't really trip up. Right. So, but when you look at all of it, that we're, we're running deficits that are over a trillion dollars now. Okay. So our, our deficits uh, are up like 50% from last year. So, uh, or more than that now, uh, over a hundred percent. So our issue here is that what, what can you do? Well, you, you, you basically have, you have three choices, right? And you've got three choices. You could either have austerity, which is lowering expenses, cutting programs, and that's pretty much political suicide because this is what each party is trying to trick the other party into doing is cutting expenses that will yeah. hurt their constituents and cost them votes, right? So that's why you have the debt ceiling. Every single, you know, every few years we bump up against that debt ceiling and there's a whole big fight about who's going to cut expenses and nobody wants to. So it does. It never happens again. It didn't happen this time. You know, we didn't cut expenses. We just said, okay, well, we're not going to allow for new expenses, but we're not going to have a limit on the debt quite yet. We'll we'll revisit that, right? So the second thing you do is raise taxes, and so by raising taxes, you eventually just wind up cutting productivity because you disincentivize companies to. Uh, to produce more, and you you actually hurt their growth because they can't reinvest that capital into research and development, into new programs, into uh, new you know more workers and more employment. It it winds up you wind up getting to the same spot on your GDP if you raise taxes, okay, or even worse if you raise them enough. Hmm. And the third thing you could do, which they always do, is issue more debt to pay it down, okay. But the unspoken thing that they can do. And this is the real third choice, which is as you issue that debt, 
you allow for higher structural inflation that is that's long term that winds up uh, it debases your currency right so it mm. in, and so that debt is being paid down with dollars that are that are cheaper they're they're worth less than when you issued that debt so if i if i loaned you if i loaned you um a hundred dollars today and you took that at you know three percent and then in 10 years you paid that back to me after paying me that three percent coupon who do you think won that trade well you you know you yeah. did because you got the you got the benefit of the dollars today and now yeah. in 10 years you're paying me back dollars that are worth far less than they were yeah. just you know when i issued when i when i loaned that to you so and that's the that's the government's play is to allow for long-term structural inflation they talk about inflation uh being under control they talk about you know the fed talks about keeping inflation in check and being sure that it stays at that two percent magic range of two to three percent whatever that however they yeah. came up with that but how did they come up with that they're trying they, they know that they need to instill confidence in that debt to keep the whole charade going so they don't want to trip up people and 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 uh you know um allow that light bulb to go off in their head that says wait a minute these dollars you, you need to maintain the illusion that they are going to get paid back in something it's an real. illusion yeah it's yeah. A, it's a it's a, it's a shell game. can, can, I, can so, I just tease on that on on yeah. that thing about yeah, sort please. of um, managing this through through the inflation because i'm just thinking about those big line items that you talked about so i, I don't know how medicare and medicaid works but if it's anything like the nhs in the uk the promise is not um, we are going to provide you a fixed amount of money. It is we are going to provide healthcare goods and services. And the problem is that you can't inflate those away. And that's why we're going for essentially longer and longer waiting lists, which I suppose is preferable to the Canadian version of please go and kill yourself if you if you develop a toothache or whatever it is. Um, but th then those other line items, so interest expense, um, yeah, okay, you can, you can inflate away the value of the debt. But then your military, you know, Again, you can't inflate that away. You, you have to you have to be able to project the amount of force that you need to project in order to maintain the dollar. So you know you, there's so much that you can do with inflation, but the problem is is that you actually need to provide something real on most of these. I mean, I'm presuming you, you tell me if I'm wrong, but you can't inflate away uh, your, your Medicare and Medicaid expenses that much because it's essentially a promise of real things. That's right. And and so here, what we do is we get a, uh, a statement every single year. You can see, you can go in and look at your Social Security benefits, their expected benefits. And, you know, my mom is on, she's getting her Social Security check. She's 80 years old. And so uh, she knows what she's getting. She's planning for that. Can you imagine, you know, she's okay, but can you imagine if that was her main source of income, if they cut that in half? I mean, that would be devastating. And so they can't do that. They know that. So, I mean, I'm a, I'm Gen X, right? So yeah. I don't, I don't expect to get much, right? And you're, you're a little bit younger than yes. me, but I don't expect to get much from the government, yeah. right? So I expect them to somehow met, you know, bleed away this program and just because there, we have, right now we have huh. over, we, we're, we're looking at over two hundred trillion dollars of, of obligations in the United yes. States when you add in the all of those social security medicare medicaid when you add all that up 
those are unfunded liabilities that that's I, I think just it comes out to debt. something like 500,000 per US citizen or something like that. Yeah, it's something or, insane. So if you go to, if you go to debtclock.com, uh, you can see it for your for your for your listeners, but you know, they've got it they've got all broken down by by people and by uh, you know, uh, by the the federal and the local and you can see everything on there. Yeah. So actually really good. And then those numbers come right off the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office. So But but that, that raises an interesting question where you talk about um, the sort of the generational differences in this because effectively what we've got at the moment is we've got a set of entitlements in the UK and US which, you know, realistically are not going to survive the baby boomer generation if they even make it all the way through there. Like you said, Gen X and below, there's very little prospect of getting anything out of these these programs. So what you're essentially asking that we've paid in that we paid in for thirty yeah. years. Yes, yeah. yeah. But but you're essentially okay. asking several generations of of Westerners. You're saying we need you to pay sky high taxes, and on top of that, we're going to inflate your money away so that your your wages are always going to be lagging behind this. Um, and in return, mm-hmm. you're going to get nothing. It, it seems very difficult to hold this up over even over the it's, short to medium term. Yeah, it's cynical, you know. Um, so what are they going to do? They know they can't really do that. So they allow for that that inflation and that illusion is is there to and to allow them to continue to issue more debt. Now, that spotlight that got put on the you know the debt ceiling once again, it spurred the one of the one of the credit agencies to Fitch this time to downgrade the U.S. debt. Okay, so let's talk about that. Because you've got people like Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon saying it doesn't matter, it's nonsense, the U.S. is the... Okay, in one sense, the United States is, we, are, we have the, you know, the privilege of being the, both the, reserve, the, the global reserve asset and the global reserve currency of the, wor- of the world. Like, so we have that benefit. And so when you have, you, when you have uh, economic issues, you have, uh, you have market drawdowns, market scares, and people want to, they want to run to safety. Where do they run? They run to treasuries. They run to short-term treasuries typically. And so the money pours in for the United States when there's uncertainty and that's just reality. Now, backing off of that though, when you, when you ask why would they do this? Why would the S&P downgrade the U.S. debt in 2011? Why would Fitch downgrade downgrade U.S. debt in 2023? And where's S&P? And the S&P, I don't know what they're thinking. But the reality is there's a, there's a lot of different components that go into that. One of the components is whether or not they, they trip the, the debt ceiling and they end up having a technical default, right? So what is that? We have a real default where they just cannot pay or refuse to pay the, the either coupon or the, the principal on the debt. The U.S. will not do that. There's no reason for it to do that. We issue debt in our own currency. And as other countries like the U.K. and uh, the Europe, okay, you, you're issuing debt in your currencies. So mm-hmm. you can always monetize that debt. Look at what's happening in Japan. And we can come back to that. But the reality is we would never have a real default. At least not unless we have a massive hyperinflationary event and there's just no way around it. Okay, so what's a technical default? Well, they miss a payment. We've done this before. In 19, 1979, Congress couldn't get their act together and they, 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 find, they, they dragged all the way to the, the, um, the last moment to raise the debt ceiling. 
and they finally raised the debt ceiling. Well, it's 1979. We didn't have computers. The Treasury didn't have computers. So they were stuffing envelopes with checks that were that were for the principal and, and for the, the interest right. payments on debt. And they put them in the mail and it wasn't in time. So they 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 missed it. They missed it. So technically a default, yeah. They was technically a default. Now they made everybody whole, um, yep. but the problem is it's a technical default. But think about it today. Okay, you could argue, oh, it doesn't matter. They'll just press a button. Everybody's paid, even at the last second, even at 11.59, right? Well, that may be true, but if they technically technically default, even just for a day or two, you know, that, 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 that initiates chaos in markets. Why? Because people use the U.S. Treasury as collateral, yes. right? And you are borrowing against that collateral and you're expecting to get, you know, payments. You may be expecting to have cash that you need to pay something else. So there's else. the whole chain you're, of payments throughout, throughout the financial the system. That, that you, yeah, yeah you, you trigger and it, it, it produces cash. So it's not nothing. It matters when you have a technical default. Hmm. And so you have you have counterparty risk. You have and people will will they'll have a, a you know a chain link event where yeah. you have other defaults that happen. They may be technical and everything gets sorted out, but it's a mess. So it's not nothing, and so it, it produces opportunity costs. So what happens? Markets drop. You don't have your money from your treasury. You want to take advantage of the fact the market's dropping, but you're the you you're you're the, right. the, the counterparty is the U.S. Treasury, which is the safest asset in the, asset in the world. You don't have money from them, so you can't invest in the market drop. You just had counterparty risk that turned into opportunity costs that now you know you've lost out on because the Treasury didn't pay you in time. Uh, so so this this is this is the uh, example of the credit event that you feel might be coming fairly soon. I don't. I mean, no. I mean, that I, that that could have been this last this okay. last spring. We could have had that, but that didn't that didn't come to fruition. But the yeah. point is that Fitch is saying it's more likely that the U.S. defaults on U.S. Treasuries than the and even a technical default than Microsoft misses a payment on their debt. That's what they're saying, and that's scary, but it's probably true. Now. The reality is that if the U.S. defaulted on their debt, it would ripple into Microsoft, so it would be a problem for them yes. too. But this is the reality, okay? And that's what they're saying. And then they're saying also, and it's an unspoken, uh, you know, part of this this analysis that they've done. But if you go in there and you look at the what the different factors are they look at, and they have it right on their website. I've got it in my newsletter. You can look at all the different things they look at for sovereign debt, and some of it is GDP is, is debt to GDP. You know, just how many, how much of those, what, how much of those interests are are as a percentage of your your income. They're looking at all these things, and they're and how much that inflation is, how structural that inflation is, and they know exactly we what we talked about, which is the third type of default, and that's the soft default. And they're doing it every day. They're soft defaulting every day by debasing the currency and making those dollars they pay you back worth less than when you lent it to them. Period. So who's and who's going to be buying all of this debt? Because I mean, sooner or later. I mean, I appreciate there's a whole that the the U.S. Treasuries they're sort of a backbone of the financial system because they're used as a way to sort of storing money over well short to long term periods. And so I, I appreciate that they're a sort of a, a backbone of this. This soft default is becoming more and more obvious. So, who's going to continue to buy this? Because what we're seeing is is declining um, overseas purchases, 
Um, the US could do something like financial repression where it goes to its institutions, its pension funds, its insurance funds and saying, OK, you have to own a certain percentage of, of, of US treasuries and then simply grow that percentage. The problem with that, though, is that it, it, it sort of feels like we all kind of know what we what we should be doing, which is waiting for the taps to turn on, for printer to arrive again, go out and buy a big bag of risk and then basically watch watch that shoot up. But if they go down the financial repression route of saying, OK, now everybody has to buy this, well, that means they have to sell something else. So you could get into a sort of situation where stuff is being, um, where, where um, th this is being pushed out, but the market still falls anyway, even though you're getting that thing. And the other option is that they just hold it on their own balance sheet. Which way do you think they're going to go with all of this? All right. So lots unpacked there. But let's just talk about where we are now, right? So so going back to where what happened with the debt ceiling crisis well during during the debt ceiling crisis this this past spring the tr the treasury didn't have money to to pay the principal on on debt that was maturing all right mm -hmm. and they didn't have the ability to issue more debt so they did they they did uh you know um some things internally that that they were borrowing money internally and at the same time, they they were you know um, they were allowing some of this this debt to mature and then using the Treasury General account, drawing from their checking account to pay this off. So they drew their checking account all the way down to just like thirty something, thirty five billion dollars, which like you know we joke about they they spend the U.S. government spends that before I finish my first cup of coffee in the morning. Okay, so mm. the fact that they were that close is a little bit scary. Okay, so, but um, they use those exceptional measures to 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 navigate this. Then they had to refill that. Okay, so how do they refill it? Well, they've got to spend about it. They had to they had to raise about a trillion dollars to refill that TGA back up to about five hundred billion dollars, which is where they're comfortable keeping the checking account at. Like you don't keep, you know. Twenty dollars in your checking account, you keep a few thousand dollars in there at least, in order to make sure you're making payments that are they're coming out automatically. Okay, same sort of idea. So, as they're doing that, where are they getting that money from? Well, there's a few there's a few places that they're drawing from, and we're going to get to all of this, right? So, the first place they draw from is the debt matures. Well, that most of that money is going to get reinvested into new debt. Okay, so that as that debt matures, they pay it, it goes right back in, okay? And then they've got this huge, massive uh, reservoir of the reverse repo facility, which is which at, at the time of this, you know, beginning of June, it was around $2.3 trillion of capital, which is just idle capital in banks that's parked at the Fed and making a great rate of return. Well, so what does the Treasury do? The banks are kind of if they're up against their limits on how much they can own in treasuries, right? Because of leverage limits and they've got internal limits and they've got external limits from from the Fed. So where, where are they going to get that money from? Well, the reverse repo is just sitting there. Well, you can't use that reverse repo money to buy long term debt. So they're buying short term debt. Well, so the Treasury starts issuing short term debt. And if you look back in, in June and July, they issued hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars of short term treasuries. I mean, we're talking about T-bills. You know, they're, they're just a few weeks to a, a month or two months or three months old, right? Or m duration. So that's already coming due. So you see the treasury just, they're just like continuously, they're just pumping 
you know, the this this short term debt out there. But that's that winds up taking down that that the reverse repo from 2.3 to 1.6 or 1.7 trillion. And so they're draining that. Well, they're, they're going to have to start issuing long-term debt because they're just continuously issuing the short-term debt, which is at the highest interest rates, right? So yeah. they've got to figure this out. And so as they're doing this, they're also so, trying so that, to... That, that's a big problem, what you're talking about there. If, if, if they're going to swap out old long-term debt for new long-term debt, it's a fundamentally... I mean, what, what is it? Is it like 5% five, 5 versus 1%? I mean... What, it's, <laughs> Yeah, it's about five, it's about it's anywhere from four and a half to five and a half percent to you know versus anywhere from three quarters to one and a half percent ish somewhere in okay. there, right? So as these things are maturing, there. But, but okay, that, so that, that's a bit. If, if if you're if you're swapping out a billion at one percent for a billion at five percent, it's it's like you're you know five uh, xing the amount of debt that you've got from from. And an now you know why our that's right. So now why you, that's exactly why the interest expense is going straight up. Okay, right. it's gone from just a, a three hundred million, four hundred million. Or billion to over to it's it's almost a trillion dollars now. Okay, yeah, for this year, right? So, um, but the the thing is, you also have about forty percent of that of the debt that's on the treasury uh, that's on on the treasury books. You know that they've put out that that they borrowed is coming due. It's maturing in the next eighteen months. So you've got all that debt that's coming. They have no choice but to issue longer term debt, right? And so people know, you know, Bill Gross, the 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 bond king, you know, he was known as the bond king in my in my hedge fund years, has said that look, this the long term debt, the 10 year treasury is is way overpriced because of a few things. You know, you the 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 downgrade is just kind of a tip off that look, the you're going to have to get money. Where is it going to come from to get to finally get to your answer of where is this money going to come from? That you, when you have cash and cash like vehicles, you know, money market event. So my cash is in money markets and in T-bills. Why? Because T-bills are, they're not risky. They're going to get paid off. The T-bills are going to get paid off. I don't think we're going to have a debt ceiling crisis in, you know, any, in the next month to three months. So that's getting paid off. But you're getting a great rate of return there. You're getting over 5% on those, right? That's risk, as riskless as you can get right now, okay? So, but it, my, my stock portfolio is where the risk is. So I'm not buying long-term debt. Right. The only time I'm going to buy long term debt is when it gets to a price where I feel like it's just it's it's just too juicy to ignore. And so I draw capital out of the stock market and put it there or the stock market starts to drop and you have this drain of liquidity there because people are taking money out of the risk assets. And where are they going to put it? Well, they're going to put it in short term treasuries. But you you're you're reallocating to something that you feel is OK. It's not as risky as the stock market, but it is still riskier, far riskier than short term. So you see what I'm saying? So yeah, you yeah. need money to come out of the risk assets to go into those long-term treasuries. But but let's just let's just tease on this a bit because okay, so so they're issuing primarily short-term debt at the moment. Okay, that that makes sense because that's where the demand is and so on. Um, if we look at the bets that the market is taking, the inverted yield curve, it would tend to imply that a lot of people out there believe that the, um, the Fed is going to have to cut rates significantly soon. So um, mm -hmm. the, 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 the market right. is basically positioned and betted for this. 
Now, if the and, and actually the, the fact that they're issuing so many short-term treasuries would lead me to believe that perhaps they, they would much rather be doing that because they understand that there is going to be a point in the not too distant future where they're going to have to drastically cut rates because they simply can't afford to be rolling over their long-term debt at these rates. So are, are you with where, where the market is on this, that, that there's going to be a sort of um, a, a big drop in rates coming maybe end of this year? Yeah, so let's unpack that. So uh, to to clear it up for your listeners, you're talking about the you typically look at the the uh, the spread between the ten year treasury and the two year treasury, yes. right? So you take the yield of the ten year and you subtract out the yield of the two year. Hmm. And when the two year yield is higher than the ten year yield, that means that your your inflate your your uh, your yield curve is is not normal. It is it. I'm doing this backwards, right? So it's, but it's inverted, yeah. right? So the yield curve is going down instead of going up. So what that means is people are expecting, like you're saying, the yields to be lower in the future. Well, why are they expecting that? Well, the Fed just raised rates over 5% in, in about a year, right? Just over a year. So that was, that's a massive jump from just 25 basis points to over 5%. That's a massive rate raise. Okay. And we have not yet seen the effects of that in the market. And so there's those lagging effects of what, what investors are looking out at. They're saying there's going to be a recession. The Fed is intent on creating a deflationary event. Well, okay. So some of your listeners are saying, well, wait a minute, you just said they need long-term inflation. That's true. They do. They can't let inflation get out of control. The Fed's job is to not let inflation get out of control. The Treasury's job is to be sure that they can they can borrow as much as they need. So there's a kind of a push and pull there, right? I, 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 might, so, I might phrase it a little bit differently to say the Fed need credibility, and they're they're only willing to do this as much as is necessary to preserve their credibility. I think I think they're probably happy with inflation over the longer term. Yeah, the, but but, yeah, but do, 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 do you accept the view that because because I'm leaning towards that what they're what they're really doing is they they are deliberately overdoing it on the tightening side. They are deliberately damaging the economy because they know they have to go as hard and fast as they possibly can right now because um, be it end of this year or somewhere through next year, they're really going to have to push down those rates and refinance all of this debt because otherwise it doesn't add up. I mean, are you, is that broadly yeah. where you're... Yeah, you just hit the punchline. You just yeah. hit the... Exactly. That's it. And, and yeah. so they know, they realize there's two things, right? So first, they need to make sure they maintain credibility by avoiding the possibility of hyperinflation, right? So you can't have inflation like you did in the 80s. That would destroy this country, right? So they have to make sure that they do not have that, okay? So how do they do that? By causing some sort of market repricing, okay? Just like you're talking about. And But they're not worried about that. You see, you see Powell get up there on that podium every few weeks. And he says that over and over and over again, he said, look, we have tools to deal with a recession, basically, is what he's saying. If, if yeah, the market massive, draws a down, massive printer somewhere. Correct. We have we have just we have that the printing meme, right? So yeah. they have tools, which is they, they can print money, they can, they can expand the money supply and step in. And the, the real crux of it, though, Dan, the, the, the thing that they cannot let happen, is the treasury market lockup because if the yes. treasury market locks up the entire financial system locks up across the entire well, world 
Well, so, yes, and, right? and so on, on a more immediate basis, they they can't they can't pay their bills as they fall. Through. I mean, the whole the whole system seizes up, and you know they're, they're not going right. to let let it get to the point where the police who 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 guard their offices are not getting paid. <laughs> to watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.